Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the show. Now, the US. We've not talked about US politics for quite a while. It remains the global hegemon. So clearly what happens within the political ecosystem of the United States is pretty important for the rest of the world. Now, back in 2020, there was quite a broad political coalition, I would say, which was, I suppose, relieved that Donald Trump lost. Whatever people thought about Joe Biden and his political prospectus and the administration that he then formed, there was a general sense of, Thank F, Donald Trump is no longer president of the United States. And I suppose what's interesting is what has happened since. Because the Biden coalition, I suppose, or what propelled him to power, is quite a different context from, say, Barack Obama in 2008. Not least because you now have actually quite a big progressive movement in the United States, which crystallized around Bernie Sanders' insurgent campaigns back in 2016 and 2020. And that's particularly appealing to younger Americans, millennials and Zoomers, much the same political phenomenon as here in Britain. And they have very radical, often political ambitions, which obviously are, which arise from their own material conditions, the huge insecurity which exists in a neoliberal economic uh, paradigm over the United States, much as it is the case here in Britain. So I suppose the question is now, because Biden, in fact, before I bring in, we've got two brilliant guests to talk this through. If we look at his polling, it's bad. In fact, it's very, very bad. Um, the number of Americans disapproving of Biden has surged. The number of Americans who approve of him has fallen uh so approving of him has fallen very dramatically. Now, there were midterm elections coming up. Now, given the knife edge which exists in the Senate, which has left the administration at the mercy of particularly two conservative Democrats, which has caused massive problems for their domestic agenda, this is obviously relevant. So what we're going to talk about today is how much of a mess is the Biden administration actually in? Why? Uh, what is likely to happen, not least in the midterm elections, and the narrative around that, because the narrative that is often being pushed is it's the excessive radicalism of the US left, which is actually responsible for these problems. Um, not, for example, the fact, as I've said, you've got two Democratic senators who are stopping the domestic agenda uh, being, uh, being however limited it or, or however much it, in itself it wasn't sufficient. Uh, but the, the focus is very much being on scapegoating the left. So I think it's worth testing that theory and looking at the actual reality on the ground. We have the wonderful Adam H. Johnson, who's a writer, the co-host of Citations Needed podcast. And we also have Sam Seder, who is the host of Majority.fm. Hello, both of you. How are you both doing? Well, thanks. Great to see you. So um, for some kind of, I would call centrist liberal types in the United States, the promise of Biden was basically to make politics boring again. Uh, there's a sense often the kind of, we had it here in Britain, which was what I call 2012 Olympic opening ceremony syndrome, where a lot of, I suppose, people in the center of politics would say, look at that wonderful moment in the Olympics in London. We had this great opening ceremony and it showed how great the country was. We were all united. And actually in 2012, there was austerity. We'd had a crash four years earlier. Life was very hard for lots of people. So it's this idyllic moment that didn't exist for lots of people. And with Biden, there seems to be something similar. Let's go back to, you know, Trump came out of a clear blue sky, out of nowhere. It was an aberration. We want to go back to politics being dull. And David Soroto, often the former... Bernie Sanders' speechwriter refers to it, this sign at a um, anti-Trump march, which is, I should be at brunch. It was this idea of, you know, we shouldn't have to be involved in politics. We should just be on autopilot and not have to worry about it. So I suppose that was a long-winded question, but has that been realised? Who wants to start? Adam, 
Um, well, no, because it turns out, as, as many had warned, that the, that the existential uh, conditions that led us to Trump were still there, uh, that the massive inequities, uh, the poverty, uh, the racist uh, police uh, state that was obviously emerged from the Black Lives Matter, then the George Floyd, uh, Floyd protest, that none of this was going to be solved by simply voting Biden into office. Now, there was a general belief, I think, among the quote unquote left that Biden would create more space because with Trump, you're constantly putting out fires. You know, you're running to JFK airport to make sure that immigrants are deported. You're worrying about protecting, you know, um, uh, 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 trans people, you know, uh, under siege by the Trump administrations. You're constantly putting out these various fires because he was such an erratic um, sort of quasi fascist or outright fascist president that having Biden in office would give you more space. Now, of course, that also has its own risk uh, with respect to complacency um, and a lack of and, and a kind of bipartisan consensus around things like uh, inequality, uh, the obsession with deficits, uh, the new austerity regime that Biden has ushered in with respect to cutting off the poverty reduction measures of, of that we saw under COVID, uh, UI and stimulus. Now, we can debate who's responsible for the failure of the Build Back Better bill, which had a lot of good social programs in it. Uh, some would argue that Biden kind of half-assed that that um, in terms of blowing political capital and lobbying and, and, and arm twisting. Uh, but of course, you have Joe Manchin and, 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 and the so-called moderate or conservative Democrats who who are also responsible for that that suffering. And I think that's really the, the failure of that bill and the social programs promised in that bill, and with the with the kind of giving up on COVID protections and the giving up on COVID pandemic measures, um, and and pushing everyone back to work. Um, to to so to fight the the inflation is is I think shows that many of these existential issues re, uh, still remain with us and um, simply voting for Biden of course didn't stop that and I, and I don't think a lot of people thought it would I, I I do think there was a well I think there was a way too many who thought it would but I I think there are many who knew that the work would continue Sam what do you think Yeah I mean I think you know broadly speaking there are two sort of like uh, very broadly speaking, two large cohorts, I think, um, who, who voted against, um, who voted against Trump. And, um, certainly one of those cohorts, the, you know, however you want to describe it, sort of the mainstream Democrats, um, uh, they have a tendency, at least it's been my experience. I mean, I just, uh, to, to go back to sleep and not pay attention to politics and disengage in many respects. And I think that was a desire for a lot of people. I mean, I uh, specifically remember where I was the night that Bill Clinton won uh, his election. And I remember just looking around and seeing how I was in a comedy club, actually, and seeing around how excited everyone was. And I just remember thinking, like, I get it. The the era of Reagan is over. It was, you know, uh, George Herbert Walker Bush. But I think people, we all perceive that as still uh, an extension of Reagan. And um, and this is the best we can do, uh, you know, Bill Clinton. And um, and I think to a certain extent, you know, uh, following uh, George W. Bush, I think there was a lot more excitement uh, for Obama for for for, um, you know, reasons in terms of I think uh, it was the first opportunity to elect a, a black person president. But uh, largely, I think there was just sort of like there this is a. A, a typical reaction of that cohort. And then I think there are other people who understand, uh, like Adam was saying, that the, that Donald Trump was not uh, some type of, uh, you know, was not particularly, I mean, in, in some respects was sweet generous, but, but, but for the most part was exactly um, where the Republican Party was going. And we have these structural problems that no party is addressing. And I think, frankly, the, the Democrats did a very poor job of, of, and, and, and I, I'm not even sure poor job is the right way to explain it, to make it clear to the American public that the Republicans were the problem. Um, in, in many respects, all of them, uh, the Democratic leadership, very much protected the Republican Party from uh, the, the sort of Trump contagion. I think the idea was theoretically this is going to be a wedge and it didn't work. And so you have a, a very, I think, um, uh, a public that has really checked out. And um, and and it's hard not to because it uh, seemingly our government can't seem to do anything really at this point. And, um, you know, I have uh, theories as to as to why that failure uh, happened. But even on their own terms, you know, I don't think uh, Joe Biden was going to be uh, the president necessarily that 
that I wanted. Uh, in fact, I knew he wouldn't be. But even on his own terms, I think they have failed um, at uh, achieving what they were going to or, or had sought to achieve. And so, yeah, this is um, a lot of people went to brunch, including it feels like uh, 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 the, the, the leadership of the Democratic Party. Joe Biden's approval ratings are said are really bad. In fact, I think they're worse, aren't they, than Trump's was at this stage. It's not great. What are the, what's the main reasons? I'll switch around this time. I know you just spoke, Sam, but just so you have your answer first this time. What do you say? Why, why so unpopular? Well, I mean, I, you know, we have a very <clears throat> polarized country. And so uh, th- there was always going to be a cap on, on how well he does. But the, he's losing support from Democrats. And, and I think that's because there was a grave dissatisfaction with the failure to do anything. Like, I don't know that, that broadly speaking, people follow you know, what was in uh, the Build Back Better bill. Um, but I think um, I think the the whole narrative of him being essentially um, uh, led around by, by Joe Manchin uh, made him look weak and ineffectual. And they have not done what they could do uh, in terms of like executive actions, whether it's student debt or whether it's... Um, uh, you know, I, really a whole host of things that they could be engaging in. Um, and I think it's basically people just see him as ineffectual. And um, and then I think they've also fallen into a trap that that this Democratic leadership, and I say this Democratic leadership, because really the same people we've had for almost 20 or 30 years, um, fall into, which is they get into an incredibly defensive posture. And think the best thing to do is essentially nothing and hope that the Republicans will implode. And this uh, rarely, if ever, works. And so um, I think there is just sort of a feeling of, of, of Biden's not doing anything. And, and I think oddly enough, there's also, I think part of the reason why there's that perception, in addition to it being true, is that we were trained for four years to have Donald Trump dominate the news constantly. And um, I think in, in some weird way, um, that return to uh, brunch mentality is, uh, is hurting Joe Biden. I, I think there's a sense of like, where, where is he? Where's the government? What, we're not doing anything. And so I think, um, I think it's a combination of things, but he's losing, he's losing his, his supporters. And that's where uh, that damage is coming from. Well, I'll, you, you raised student debt, and I'm, I'll, I'll come on to that as well, because there's some interesting polling that's just come out about that. Adam, why do you think he's so unpopular? Um, well, everything Sam said is correct, but also, and this is kind of a hacky Chuck Todd answer, but, it, but inflation, uh, we, can, we can discuss the, the, the origins of that inflation with respect to whether it's you know, a capital strike, profiteering by corporations, I think it's all the above. Um, I definitely think that inflation is largely a disciplinary m- measure for large social spending. It was the thing that killed the Build Back Better politically, um, just in terms of broad kind of media climate. Uh, all the deficit scolding um, was essential to providing political cover for that, although it's possible Mansion and Cinema didn't need it. Um, and the inflation, I, I think, is is something that everyone feels. It's very visceral. You can't go, you go to the you know Kroger or, or Albertsons and you sit there in line and you watch the ring up and you're like, I definitely don't remember spending $250 last time I was here. And, and that's just basic, you know, kind of, whereas we let, you know, all the financial aid and, and, and unemployment insurance for 7.1 million people and, and the child tax, tax credit that, that threw 3.4 million children back into poverty uh, from December of last year. Now, we let that set stuff sunset and it kind of goes a little less notice. It's less visceral. Whereas inflation, because every day there's, you know, dozens of financial exchanges people make, you notice that. Um, and inflation is just completely murdering him. And so Biden is trying to give his burnt offering to the to the capital class by basically giving up on any deficit spending and even now touting they're, they're reducing the deficit, which is a signal to to, to capital that um, we're going to go back to the kind of Obama era and Clinton era '90s austerity politics. Um, that's 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 what he's he's proffering in, in hopes of of getting inflation down. Um, and I think that that's uh, not very inspiring because if you have, you know, if you're if we're if we're deciding between two austerity regimes, people will begin to gravitate towards those who they view as as more more quote unquote culturally aligned with them. And um, 
And when, when Democrats start doing imp an impression of the Republican Party, uh, that's not a good sign. When they start sounding these kind of, for a while, again, for, for the better part of the first six, six to nine months of the administration, we had this idea of this you know, 3.5 trillion over 10 years deficit spending. It was clear Biden's heart was never really in it. <laughs> you know, like it was clear that he kind of half-assed the, the lobbying aspect of it. But you had progressives out there pushing this. You even had Nancy Pelosi out there pushing these kind of big ticket spending items on climate and childcare, the stuff that would really deliver for working people. Um, of course, the media did a garbage job talking about it, but that's a separate topic. But to be fair, the Democratic leaders didn't do a very good job talking about it. Um, and then that quietly kind of went away. And then now we've pivoted into pure deficit and austerity. Um, and that's just a losing formula. So this is why in the last couple months, you've seen increasingly, and I'm sure you'll get to this. I think you mentioned this at the top of your show on um, increasingly you see this shift to left punching because every every two years when they're about to get their asses kicked, you start to see either third way or the D and triple C or these kind of corporate backed groups. See the reason we get our asses handed to us in the midterms, not of course the, con the corporate consulting class that's been running the show of the party for the past 30 years. That, they're, they're never to blame. It's always the fringe left who's kind of stained the brand. In terms of just, you mentioned left punching there and a narrative will obviously take hold and it has the advantage because obviously in politics, what matters often is not truth, but, but power uh, is that it will be endorsed by both the Republicans and by centrist Democrats, which is the Democrats have appeased the left and shifted to the left so much that the reason they're going to get a shellacking in the midterms isn't because of their lack of ambition in the domestic program, but because the, 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 the reds, under the bed have frightened the electorate. Adam, I'll switch it around this time again so you can start. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, in terms of that whole narrative, obviously. Yeah, because you have, it can't ever be me, right? Like if I'm the coach of the Chicago Bears and my team go, you know, wins two games, I'm not going to say, you know, what I did wrong. I mean, oh, well, the general manager or, you know, the, the left tackle didn't play right. I mean, that's, people don't want to blame themselves who run the party. So you have to come up with scapegoats, which is why every two years it's, it's Russia bots, it's Bernie bros, it's petulant, uh, you know, Ocasio-Cortez, the squad. I mean, there, there's always something that's more responsible than the people who are actually in charge. Um, and it's the only business really, and there may be some exceptions. It's the only business where your job is sales. And every time you felt you, you fail at selling something, you blame the consumer. I'm, I'm trying to imagine like a used car, salesman sitting down with his manager and him saying, you, won't, you didn't sell any cars this week. And he says, yeah, all my customers are idiots. I mean, democratic political, oh, it's the voters didn't want it or the voters are stupid or it's Jill Stein voters or it's this or that. I mean, it's always someone else's fault because nobody wants to take responsibility uh, for what I, what I think is fair to say is going to be a bloodbath in the midterms. Um, because like you said, they, they, were, they, were, they were elected on delivering these specific things, these bold progressive things that were going to help ameliorate poverty help working. I mean, just the child tax credit alone, again, millions of kids out of poverty, the, which came and then sunsetted with the first bill. Um, so we know it works. Uh, things like uh, 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 free college, uh, community college. I mean, this, again, this stuff is not a, by any means a kind of social democracy utopia, but it's a lot of good stuff in there. Real robust climate change stuff, um, helping uh, 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 paid maternity, paternity leave, all this really great bread and butter stuff that would have helped the working class and I, and I believe now, obviously, I have an ideological incentive to believe this, but I believe would have helped them win, the, you know, win votes. Um, all that was promised and then it never wasn't realized. And then what you had was a bunch of finger pointing and blaming uh, at Mansion and Cinema, which I think is fair to an extent. But to Sam's point about did Biden do everything he could have done with respect to executive orders, uh, college debt, all these things that he does have control over uh, the bully pulpit. You know, the, the greatest anti-poverty program of the last 50 years was the unemployment, um, enhanced unemployment, $600 a week, and, and then the stimulus during COVID. Uh, reduced poverty for the first time in years was, it was a huge uh, coup of what federal government can do. And, and none of the presidential debates in 2020 did Biden ever mention the unemployment insurance, even though Democrats were, were, were essential to it. Obviously, Trump signed off on it, but Democrats were promoting it. Uh, at no point in any of these bully pulpits did he, did he, I think he did a couple town halls. There wasn't really a sense that there was a lobbying effort to push this. Um, and, 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 and there was kind of a, um, a, a death by just kind of waiting it out. And then the number kept shrinking, 7.5, 3.5 trillion, 1.5 trillion, and then now it's zero. So you can't make these big promises and then come up with 
nothing and and then say oh well you know where are you going to turn of course you're going to blame the left because it's all you can do it's if i was a consultant making half a million dollars a year for the DNCCC, that's exactly what i would recommend they do i'd say oh well blame the blame the black lives matter protesters sure of course i'm you know i'm not soulless but if i was that's what i would exactly what i would do sam what do you think about this the blame the left narrative yeah, I mean, I and I think Ad, and Adam's right. I mean, this is we see this every two years. We saw it, frankly, in the wake of the 2020 election when uh, the Democrats did um, uh, did less well than they had anticipated in uh, in Congress in terms of the House. And so, yeah, this is this is basically a CYA for these um, uh, for, uh, the consultant class, I think, uh, largely, and also uh, the, the the democratic leadership. I mean, you know, we, you can't run on the reason why we didn't deliver what we said was because of two democratic senators. I mean, you simply can't you can't run on that. And um, and, and and frankly, you know, there was a tremendous failure. I, you know, I think to, to Adam's point about the the, the Democrats not heralding. The good stuff that they did, whether it was, uh, you know, the unemployment, the extended uh, unemployment, the first go through or the COVID relief that they passed in the beginning of 20, uh, 2021. Um, and, and I think part of that was because they were, you know, somewhat afraid, uh, at least uh, parts of the leadership were somewhat afraid of people getting used to it and and embracing it. Um, you know, we saw this with with health insurance was a perfect example. The, uh, there was really two or three different ways in which you could have provided health insurance for people who lost their jobs. Um, and, uh, they did, they did two things. They extended subsidies or expanded subsidies for Obamacare, uh, which is, I mean, just sort of in a, um, a show of incredible political malpractice, Never mind the, the sort of the, 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 the humanity or the moral implications of it will run out essentially at the end of this year, but people will get notices during the, the so-called open enrollment period in October, essentially telling them that your health insurance for this some three or four million people who got the extended subsidies in Obamacare, your health insurance is going to double, triple, quadruple in, in, in monthly expense. Um, the other health insurance that they provided during uh, the COVID relief was an expansion of what what they call COBRA, which is essentially a um, a program for people who lose their jobs and end up paying the full amount of their health insurance. It's and the government fully subsidized it. It was the most expensive possible way of doing this. Instead of let's say letting the people into um, a Medicare or even Tricare, um, there was there was multiple ways they could have done this. But I think. There was a fear, certainly in Nancy Pelosi, I think, um, you know, sort of embraced this fear that um, the American people would get used to some of these benefits. And uh, so they did everything they possibly could to um, to avoid providing these things to Americans and then to even sort of like heralding them, um, even if it meant great uh, expense and, you know, the political implications of it. And so. Um, yeah, this is a typical, uh, maneuver to, to, to blame the, the left, but I, I, I think it's gaining, I think there's just less, um, they have less power to shape that narrative than they did, you know, five, six, 10 years ago. Um, because in part, because of, you know, frankly, of social media, I think, uh, there's just not as much of an opportunity for them to control the narrative in the way they used to be. Yeah, and I can't stress how. Sorry, real quick, because I want to build off that. Like there was, you, you had a moment where again it wasn't perfect, but you had millions of people who got, for want of a better term, free money. They got UI. They had a. They had. I knew people who worked in retail, uh, you know, stock and grocery stores, who for the first time in their life could kind of relax and have extra mm -hmm. money and take time off. You had, uh, uh, you had a sense that there was actually a sense of social welfare even if it wasn't perfect. And obviously millions of people couldn't get it and all that, but you had millions of working people. You had a reduction of poverty for months. And then Biden, the Biden administration is seen as the face of the people who come along and say, now we're taking all that away. Mm -hmm. Last September, we're going to let all, the, the eviction moratorium, the, uh, you know, the, the, the subsidies to healthcare, everything Sam talked about. You can't, and then people look around baffled why his poll numbers are low because he's the person in charge of enforcing an austerity regime 
that was we knew it was inevitable at some point. I thought I thought hopefully it would be a little more gradual than this. They pretty much did it overnight. Um, and we said, you need to go back to being a line cook at Sonic or driving an Uber or you're going to starve. And then people, the, the poll numbers go down. People are very unsatisfied with the economy and the people are flabbergasted by it. I, you know, there's 3.6% unemployment. Look at the line in the graph and the line graph. Who cares? It doesn't matter from the average person's perspective, the average working class person's perspective, the, the, supposedly the sort of key demographic of the Democratic Party. Um, they were given a lot of hmm. breathing room and that was taken away. And COVID's still here, by the way. But that's a separate <laughs> issue. Um, and uh, if you're seen as being the enforcer of a boat, not only an inflation uh, scenario, but a, but an austerity regime, that's not a good political combination. That's not a good politically. That's a very bad combination. On because you mentioned student debt, but I think certainly Sam did earlier. And there's some polling on this, which is quite interesting, uh, from Rise and Data Progress in the United States. Uh, suggests that cancelling loan, student loan debt would increase voter turnout. The survey found Arizona, Georgia, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin voters are more likely to vote for the Democrats if cancellation happens. I think why that's quite interesting is is um, whatever people think about Biden's politics, his 2008 victory had a lot to do with the strategy of expanding the electorate, of mobilising people who otherwise didn't previously uh, vote. And... Obviously, in the midterm elections, the danger for the Democrats is you'll get an enthused Republican base coming out to vote and you'll get lots of naturally progressive inclined voters who feel so disillusioned that they won't come out and vote. So given that polling shows, you know, one way of expanding the electorate for the Democrats perspective would be cancelling student debt, for example. How effective are, for example, the so-called squad, that's the the progressive um, uh, Congress people, for those I'm sure most people do know who I'm talking about, like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, how effective are they at pushing and building a coalition to back to try and push the Democrats in that position? And obviously a big stumbling block are particularly two conservative senators. What can be done in practical terms to deal with that, not least given midterm elections is probably going to shift the Senate in a different way? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I, I mean, I don't, I, I just don't think that the, the squad has a particularly large amount of power. I mean, I think there is, you know, uh, to the extent that we're seeing anything uh, with the progressives in the house, I think they are starting to at least, you know, develop a, an infrastructure in which they can, they can try and exert power. But I mean, they couldn't, you know, you couldn't get the vast majority of of, of the Democratic caucus to, to pass um, this legislation. You can't. I mean, the you know the the Build Back Better uh, legislation. I mean, so they you know, I I think the um, I, I just think that the Democrats have retreated into the sense of like let's just not do anything and hope that you know people uh, that Donald Trump. Uh, you know, is, is forefronts himself so much in these races that it will somehow drive out the voters that that came out to vote against Trump. I mean, um, the biggest mobilization in an off-year election happened in 2018, where people wanted to vote against Trump, but he wasn't there, and so they used uh, Republicans as as surrogates. And I think that's all, all well and good, but when you're in power, you cannot simply and merely rely upon, uh, you know, uh, the uh, someone who is out of power to drive people to the polls. I mean, it's just not going to, it's just not going to work. And so I have, have the, the squad or progressives in Congress been 
uh, able to push Biden? Not, 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 not particularly for the most part. I think like, you know, in, in, there's a, I think there's a decent argument that, um, that the, the staffing of the administration has been influenced by progressives more than maybe any other administration, at least in, you know, uh, the modern era, if you will. Um, I think you could see some of that in terms of, uh, of Biden's, uh, judiciary, judicial picks, um, on the federal bench. There is a, a diversity of, of sort of background that is not, uh, that, that, that is also a legal diversity as opposed to just a sort of an identitarian one. Um, and so I think in those areas, they've been, you know, somewhat successful, but in terms of like executive action, I think it's been very, very, uh, limited, um, in terms of what they've been able to do. It remains to be seen what Biden's going to do, but I, I, I just, I don't have a lot of hope. Adam, what do you think on that? Yeah. Cause there are, there are executive actions Biden can do tomorrow that he chooses not to do. So this kind of speaks to intent or good faith with respect to the to the bottleneck in Congress, which obviously he can't control. Um, so because there, there's a lot of debt relief Biden can unilaterally do whenever he wants to. So that is a sort of sign of is that really something you want to do? Because I think that the the underlying theme behind all this is two words: labor discipline. This is this is the year of labor disciplining. Wages were coming getting too high. I believe they call that overheated economy, which is to say the poor has had too much power. Um, wage wage labor. I was getting uh, was getting mouthy. They were starting unions. They were making too much money. Uh, the guy at Wendy's, when you walked in, was kind of giving you a dirty look. And this freaked out capital because so much of our economy, economy relies on suppressing wages. And things like robust social safety net, uh, health care subsidies, um, things like student debt uh, forgiveness, uh, all contribute to an empowered working class, which is just not acceptable. You have to keep wages down. And COVID... The, the COVID pandemic aid really kind of threw that social arrangement off. And like Sam said, they were, they were genuinely worried people would get used to it. They were worried that people would be, would realize that there's a better way to live other than being, you know, living in a, and, and that constant state of precarity is essential to how our economy functions in this country. Um, and, and I know there's a little more social welfare in your country, but a similar theme applies with other things. And so this idea of labor shortage was another kind of media panic that stoked this and all this kind of combined where you had this chamber of commerce consensus that we simply had too many poor people with too much time on their hands and too much, uh, too much power to negotiate their wages. And that had to stop. And Biden was going to have to be, I think, due to maybe his ideological uh, preferences and also his, his age, you know, whether or not he runs in 2024 is still an open question. He was going to be the guy to come in and, and, and give everyone the, the medicine. He was going to have to feed us the, the, the nasty medicine and we were just going to have to take it. And that's what they've been doing over the past few months. So, like I said, you know, if you, if your, if your goal is to make sure we sort of go back to normal, which in this sense is, 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 uh, uh, uh the bottom rung of the working class and, and, uh, you know, the, the sort of gig economy, the waiters, the retail, the low wage workers, though Amazon uh, workers, that they needed to go back to being more precarious than they were under COVID. And that's just, you know, if that's, if that's your ideological aim, then, then it's not going to be a lot very popular politically. And so Republicans get to come in and, and be the opposition to that. You know, as bad, again, as bad faith and as cynical as it is, because they, they don't support any of these social programs, that, that is not how that's going to be perceived. Just finally then, all very cheerful stuff, um, in terms of the prospects of, I mean, you've just pointed out, Adam, we don't know if Joe Biden will will run again. I mean, obviously there's question marks about his age, let alone his popularity, if we're just going to be blunt about it. What, what do you, I mean, polling suggests Trump is ahead in the polls, for example, if he was up against Joe Biden. What are the prospects, do you think, of Donald Trump becoming US president? And if not him, maybe... Another it, dangerous it's, it's, extreme, it's extremely likely. Oh, ouch. This is going to end on a really cheerful note. Because like, Tad, Tad Carroll asked, <laughs> is there anything that could put fire under the older generation of politicians to do change? Or do they just have to be replaced by a new generation? So maybe we'll try to answer that as the second part of your answer to, to, to have some optimism. But yeah, Trump becoming... Well, Adam, you, you, you said it there. Why, why are you so sure, do you think, that Donald Trump could become president all over again? Uh, again, I think... A, a, an administration that is charged with imposing austerity and, and has to deal with, with the tail end of a capital strike, DBA inflation, 
I, I just see that as being, I mean, again, I'm, I'm getting into the weeds of predictions, which I, I really try to avoid because it's kind of pure punditry, right? I, I'm getting in the weeds of, uh, of um, being prescriptive rather than, rather than normative. Um, and I would, but I, but I think there is a risk politically, if you just want me to be frank with, 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 with enforcing an austerity regime, uh, after making such lofty kind of social democratic promises. And, um, again, this is the, this is the ooze, the, the, the primordial ooze with which fascism emerges. <laughs> we know this, we know this historically, mm -hmm. um, failed promises of the liberal state, failure to address poverty, failure to deliver on, on basic you know, social democratic obligations after we had a taste of it under a Republican president, yep. you know, we had big Trump bucks signed by Donald Trump sent to your house. Um, and again, I think if Biden isn't going to send out big checks of Biden bucks, which they're obviously not going to do, um, then that's hard to compete with. And, and when you have, when, when the, when the alternative is, is kind of this, this, this condescending austerity democratic party, um, where no one's really ever mad about anything. There's never any class anger at anything. Well, I remember last December when they when they called it quits to go home for Christmas after the Build Back Better bill finally failed. And Pelosi gave this press conference and she's like, yeah, we'll work on it. And it's like she was just kind of delivering Thai food. It wasn't a big deal. Like, just get mad. Look angry. Look upset. <laughs> Millions of people are going to be affected yep. by the failure of this bill. You know, mothers and, and students trying to go to school and, and children and, and all this stuff. Like we're talking, again, meaningful poverty reduction. And they never seem to give a shit. Mm -hmm. And whereas Trump does, does tickle that id, but the, but the dark side of the id, the, the sort of the, the, the reptilian brain part of the id. And, but, but, it, but, but there's still a sense that he, he's, he's fighting for something, again, albeit a very dark vision of white supremacy. Um, and I just think it's tough to compete with that when you, when you have this kind of managerial, detached uh, austerity regime. Um, now, again, you know, certified Bernie bro here, I'm biased, but I, I do think that absent that kind of social democratic or, or even social um, vaguely progressive liberal worldview, you, that's the, that's the uh, environment with which fascism emerges and, and, and succeeds, which we've already shown, by the way, this is already, we've already gone through this. Right. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I would agree with Adam. I, I would put Trump's chances a little bit less than extremely. I would probably go closer to like 55 uh, percent uh, chance. Um, but regardless, and, and, I, and I, I think Adam and I probably have um, uh, similar um, uh, desires to in terms of what we want to see from our, from our government. But I think that the, 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 the greatest political liability uh, that the Democrats face is that they, even based upon their own benchmarks, they have failed. And I mean, so um, I, I, you know, I never uh, thought that Joe Biden was going to deliver what I had hoped a, a, a Bernie Sanders would have uh, delivered. But even based upon his own benchmarks, they have failed. And they are, and, and they're seemingly doing uh, nothing about it. Um, and so, this is this, this is the 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 problem, um, and I think you know one of the things that we heard in that first six and six months of the administration, uh, you know, was that they weren't going to make the same mistakes that the Obama administration had made in terms of of the pivot towards austerity, in terms of um, uh, trying to placate the Republicans, um, and and sort of. Uh, uh, pay homage to this idea of, of bipartisanship. And it, it, Joe Biden did exactly that. And I, and I'm convinced that's why the build back better bill uh, didn't pass was because um, in the, in the wake of the COVID relief bill, there was a tremendous amount of momentum. Um, you still had Joe uh, Manchin, you know, talking about like a five or, you know, $5 trillion uh, build back better bill at that time because they were all backfooted. Even the Republicans at that point, they, literally the only thing that they responded to the passage of the COVID relief bill, which you know did provide all of these incredible benefits for, for Americans in many respects for the first time. Um, the Republicans were responding with the book banning of Dr. Seuss. I mean, that was literally the, 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 the um, there were five or six uh, Dr. Seuss books that were were taken off of like the publisher stopped publishing, and 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 for weeks that was what they were were harping on. And there was an opportunity there, in you know, uh, really around this time, April, May, June of of 2021, where uh, 
had the Democrats just immediately gone on to the next bill, I'm convinced it would have passed. Instead, the Biden welcomed in the Republicans uh, to come and negotiate it with it. It failed. Then he uh, welcomed in Portman and Cinema to negotiate it. And all of this time, you know, you can go back and you can see where Joe Manchin is like, you know, starting to meet with no labels and, and organizations like that and and talk about who they could knock off from this bill and what kind of money uh, they would need to to marshal. And it just gave uh, the opponents, uh, you know, the capital, if you want to call them that, uh, the opportunity to sort of gather uh, their their forces and string it out. And that's basically that's exactly what happened. They strang they, they strung it out. Uh, bringing it into 2022, where they knew everything becomes much harder to pass because the imminent election, and uh, they were they were successful at it, and it was a massive uh, sort of tactical and strategic failure on the part of the Biden administration, just based upon their own benchmarks, mm-hmm. uh, and that's 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 what's really I think going to do him in. You know, I don't know. I, I am less convinced that. particularly in the short run, um, that voters respond directly to specific uh, policies as much as they do sort of like broader narratives and a broader sense of, are they doing what they said? Are they strong leaders? You know, these very sort of like um, sort of general uh, bromides. But um, regardless, they didn't do either. (laughs) And so um, it's going to be, I think, a real disaster. And you know, I think from the perspective of the Democrats at this point, I, I would not be surprised if their sense is we don't want to lose the Senate because we want to be able to continue to to uh, make judicial appointments. But the loss of the House, I think, for, you know, the administration is probably seen as something that provides them an opportunity because they've made it clear that they can't get legislation passed. And at the very least, if the I think from their perspective, if the House was controlled by the Republicans, they'd have something to run against, uh, you know, coming into 2024. Uh, and I, I, I don't you know, I, I, I don't know if that's the right perspective for them to take. Frankly, I would prefer them to actually pass legislation, but I wouldn't be surprised if that was their perspective at this point. I mean, just very finally, and this is this is a bit punditry kind of stuff, so I apologise, but I'm kind of interested, so I just want to know what you think. I mean, it did seem to me that the whole point originally of Kamala Harris becoming vice president was that Joe Biden wouldn't run in 2024 and she would be the candidate, but her popularity really has just completely imploded. I don't think anyone really thinks she's a viable candidate. So I'm wondering from that wing of the Democrats, who would they coalesce around and who would the left coalesce around? Because I can't. I don't think Bernie's he's not going to run again, is he? I mean, what do you think? I mean, what? Who's likely to be? Who's likely to be the candidates in twenty twenty four if Biden doesn't run again? Which is a big question mark. <laughs> I mean, I think that's a that's a that's a good question. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised, frankly, if Elizabeth Warren didn't try and uh, run again. I wouldn't be surprised if someone like Sherrod Brown maybe uh, contemplated running. Um, I, I, I mean, Kamala Harris is going to run if if Joe Biden is not the candidate. I, but I don't think that there's I, I'm not even sure it's accurate to say that her popularity imploded as much as th- it was never particularly there. Okay. Um, and uh, they were never, never able to to generate it. Um, yeah, I just meant their approval ratings. Yeah, you're right. I just meant their approval ratings. Went, the, the, the biggest problem. Well, not the biggest problem, but one of the biggest problems that came out of the uh, Obama administration was the loss of a thousand seats across the country of Democrats in like state houses. And one thing that I think gets too little attention is that, you know, somewhere in, in, in a couple of those states, there was a state comptroller who would have been governor now, a Democrat. And, um, and, and, and we would have... S- you know, some type of like bench, as it were, in the Democratic Party. And we simply don't. There is a huge gulf, partly because this this Democratic leadership has been in power for so long. There's been like five, I think, or six different leaders of the Republicans in the House over the time that Nancy Pelosi has been the leader of the Democrats. I mean, it's just absurd. Well, to be fair, half of them have been, were kicked out for being pedophiles. But yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt, <laughs> uh, that's literally true. To be fair to but, Nancy Pelosi. 
but um, but it, it is it's it's quite stunning, and um, there is yeah. a lack of I, I don't know maybe Adam has a better sense of so I don't I, I don't kind of go for the generational discourse. I think I'm in, in the minority here. I think that I think that you know replacing Nancy Pelosi with like a thousand thirty five year old zombie Buddha judges doesn't seem that attractive to me either. So I you know whereas a Bernie Sanders president he's you know what is he 150 years old like would probably be preferable. Um, I think the idea that I, but I think that the, the point of inertia and complacency is probably correct. Although I don't think that necessarily correlates as much with age as it does with just having the job for decades. Maybe that's a better way to frame it. Um, but yeah, I think I, cause I think one of the, there was a question about the new generation. And I think that, that you started to get into like Pepsi commercial language about new generations. And it's like, well, if again, if it's a bunch of dead eyed Georgetown grads who grew up watching the West Wing, I'm not sure that's any better. Um, so I think, but I think the issue of, 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 of inertia and complacency is, is, is clearly a feature of the democratic leadership. There is, there is no one challenging them meaningfully. Um, Pelosi's on autopilot, you know, again, doesn't ever seem to have a, a sense of urgency, has no sense of what the time she lives in, uh, Biden, the same, there's never really, there's, there's some empathy around the margins, but it's, it seems increasingly shallow. Um, but I, if I could just interject, but what I'm talking about is, and, and I agree with you, I, you know, I, I would much rather have uh, Bernie Sanders than Pete Buttigieg. It's not just a function yeah. of age, yeah. but, but I, I, I do believe that, um, the vast majority of Democrats who, um, entered into politics in the, the early nineties, who, who are now populating the, who, who almost exclusively in the leadership of our party, um, have a fundamentally flawed understanding of American politics right now. They, they I, I forget about the 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 ideological or the policy based arguments. They don't even do partisan politics well. And I think there are even like you know there are younger uh, Democrats who I disagree with vehemently in terms of their 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 policies, but at least understand that they are. <laughs> a political party and um, there's an opposition. And I think, that, you know, there's, there's, that's the thing I think that gets uh, also uh, under discussed is that there is just a, simply a sense that they understand that there is no, there is no yearning amongst the American public for bipartisanship. And, yeah. and I don't, I think there are obviously upset, uh, you know, exceptions, but for the most part, younger, the younger generation of politicians, understand that concept in a way that I don't believe the uh, democratic leadership does. I, I just don't think that you're going to find too many 35 year old, 40 year old uh, members of Congress who are going there. Like we desperately need a strong Republican party, which is literally what every democratic leader has said over the past two or three years. Well, you got one and, and congratulations. Yeah. And, and I, so I but, think with, in the case of Pelosi, it's, 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 so it's very much ideological, but within a very specific kind of people always say Democrats don't care if they win or lose. I think that's not the right way to look at it. I think they they really, really want to win, but they want to win within a very narrow ideological framework that doesn't upset the the, the sort of consultant class uh, revolving door and the corporate donors. And so, you know, Pelosi two years ago when Pete Peterson died, Pete Peterson's like the high priest of austerity funding funds funds all the all the austerity scolds. Um, she 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 read a eulogy on the on the House floor and, and cried and said like he was a really close friend of mine. This is the person who's in charge of the ostensibly the Progressive Party, who who has for years attended the conference of and praised the the, the high priest of austerity, Pete Peterson, probably the most evil man to ever live. Uh, well, maybe the Cokes, but you see my point. Um, and so there's this deep ideological commitment to austerity that that um, we're now we're seeing it reveal itself more with the again rhetoric aside, campaign rhetoric aside. Um, that has really captured the party. And as to whether or not a younger gen younger generation would have the same ideological commitments, you know, I, I don't know. M maybe, maybe not. I, with all due respect, I, I think it is that there is so much ideological filtering to get to that position that you can see, again, look at Kamala Harris, who's meaningfully younger than both Pelosi and and and, and Biden, who who also speaks in the language of austerity, who speaks in the language of you know pro police and all this kind of labor disciplining language. You know, I don't. I just don't know. I don't know if it'll be much, much better with the younger generation. But, but maybe. I mean, it couldn't be worse, I suppose. Adam and Sam, that was fantastic stuff. Really, really thoughtful. Lots for people to think about. Um, and I think a real tour de force. So thank you both. Thank you both for your fantastic uh, analysis. Uh, not 
probably the most cheerful of analyses, but we have to we have to deal with actual political reality, unfortunately, and it's not it's not great. Uh, it's worse here if that helps. A little uh, bit actually. It's good to know that others are suffering worse. It's yeah, it's I would say significantly worse. Yeah, this is a big burning skip. Um, but yours is a pretty bleak situation too. So commiserations. Thank you. Uh, but. <laughs> The struggle goes on. Uh, thank you both so, so much for joining us. Honestly, really, really appreciate it. And I will speak to you soon, but it was a big honour. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much. Great to have two brilliant, brilliant guests uh, on to talk about what's going on over in the US, which we have neglected uh, talking about. On that. Okay, that's enough of my tiny violin. Uh, enough for me. Uh, lots of love, everyone. See you next week. And as I've said, we've got lots of stuff to actually come. Uh, do press like on the video and press subscribe. And also download the podcast and support us on patreon.com forward slash Joe's 84, where we'll be funding the documentaries which we've got planned. Right. Lots of love, everyone. Take care. See you soon. Thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you found that informative, educational, uh, interesting, and I certainly did. Uh, do support us on Patreon to keep the show on the road, uh, forward slash Jones 84 Leave us some stars, that'd be nice. Spread the word. And I look forward to speaking to you soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.